I want to conclude this we series that we is greater than me. And this morning, I want, I'm going to give us some practical ways of how can we make that we strong. When we're talking about we, we're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about preferring other people over ourselves. That's what Jesus, that's the way of Jesus, is to prefer other people over ourselves. Um, and to see ourselves as a team, a family, a body of Christ. And this, what I'm sharing with you, will work in your relationships. And um, I see some, I see some Michigan shirts this morning. What is going on? Ushers, security. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bearcats. The anointing just left the building. I don't know what happened. All right. There is this, um, you know, God created you as an individual, and you, there's only one you. But if we're not careful, society will only focus on individualism. And as we said last week, the culture has really set some things up to make us feel alone. And I had, I had someone <clears throat> said that I kind of stepped on their toes and made them feel like I attacked them last week, <clears throat> not to mention any names. Um, it was all fun. So because they said, I like being alone, and I, I do too. I love being alone. And there's a time and a place for us to be alone. But God may be stretching us also to come out of our loneliness so that he can bring these incredible uh, gifts to the body of Christ. You will not be able to reach your full purpose and potential without people in your life. And God has set you up to bring certain people into your life to speak into your life. Now, what I'm going to give us this morning is a practical way, some practical ways that the Bible teaches us that how can we strengthen this relationship, we, team, church, uh, marriage, with our kids, our coworkers, whatever that is that God is doing with people, the we. What, there's one thing that God has given every one of us. He's given you ability to bring this something, something very powerful in your life. Uh, I want you to turn with me to John 13. This is Jesus uh, laying out, highlighting, focusing on the greatest commandment. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. Will you say that with me? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, by what? By your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is giving us this expectation. There's something, there's something about, different about a Christ follower, believer. There's something different about us. There's something different that we do because Christ has put his DNA in us. God is love, the Bible says, right? God is love. And because God is in us, we are love. Are you with me this morning? And that is one. They won't know you because your Bible is the biggest. They won't know you because your gifts are the loudest and flamboyant. They won't know you because you're the smartest, most intelligent. They will know that you're a Christ follower because we love one another. Can I hear a big amen? We are known. Listen, New Spring. We are known by our love toward one another. I'm telling you this. If there's one common 
thing that I hear, feedback from visitors, guests that come, people who attend our services and attend our groups and our dream teams. And there's, if there's one common theme that I hear, it is they say, wow, you guys, I felt loved. I felt accepted. I felt like people were friendly. So I, can I tell you, New Spring, you need to give yourselves a good hand. Come on, you are being known, come on, by your love. And there's always room for improving that, of course. So this message really is to encourage you, but really to bring a little more focus of how can we, how can we strengthen the we, strengthen the team, the, the body of Christ, strengthen each other. He said this commandment was what made the church so powerful. On a scale to 1 to 10, how would you rate the world, not the church, on a scale of 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, how would you rate what is going on in the world on how we're doing with love? That's an invitation for you to give me a number. 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Give me a number. 4, 3, 2, 1. Someone said negative. 930 service, we had a negative too. All right, what over here, guys? I need some feedback. A four. Isn't that incredible that we are surrounded with a culture that we are inundated, I mean overwhelmed with words today, and yet the world is not doing any better. You know why? Because the church is supposed to be modeling how to do this expression of love. And one of, one of the ways that we can express our love is an ability and a gift that God has given every one of us and that is the power of your words. Our words to one another, our words with one another, and the narratives that we tell about each other are ways that we can communicate and express our loves. Someone, our love. Someone said words are free, but it's how we use them that may cost you. How you use your words, how we use our words. I want you to think of this moment of how it's even connected to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we'll end up there in just a moment. But I want you to think back. Do you remember a time in our world without smartphones? Anyone remember a world without Wi-Fi and Internet? All the Gen Xers are saying, what? He's speaking some kind of weirdo language, right? There was a time, I remember when Bonnie and I were dating, I was in Kentucky, Bonnie was here in Ohio, and she would call me. How many remember the big rotary phones? How many remember that? Come on, anybody? All right. And how many remember that the only privacy that you got, she would call me, and she's like telling me she loves me, and I have to whisper it back. She says, why are you whispering? I said, because my brothers are making fun of me. They're standing right next to me, listening to every conversation. But I remember we got, it's like you gave me a cell phone when we extended Come on, extended the cord, and I could go to the other room. How do you remember that? Big, long cord. Go into the room, close the door. Thank God for that, right? Do you remember a time where the world really didn't have a lot of ways, tools, to express words like we do today? I want you to see two things that I want you to consider about your words. Two things. Number one, we are using more words than ever. Check it out. 306 billion emails, 306 billion emails, 4.5 trillion text messages, 500 million tweets, 
and catch this one, 525 million hours of watching YouTube words just being poured in. And catch this, that's per day. Isn't that incredible? In 2020, humans have created 2.5 quintillion bytes of data. Quintillion. I didn't even know quintillion was a word. Quintillion. I said quintillion. I'd like to have a quintillion dollars, right? Since the birth of social media, you can take the words given in any given year, and humans have communicated more than that year than all the other years in history combined. So I want you to consider that we are using more words than ever today. And isn't it crazy that we just took a poll and you voted that there is a lack of expression of love today? Number two, I want you to think about, I want you to consider that we are thinking less about our words than ever. I took a little more time when I had to write notes to Bonnie. I would write these notes out by hand, and I would take time and I would intentionally think about what I'm writing. Do any of you remember when you used to write emails instead of text messages? And you thought about how you're going to write that email, and you wrote it, and before you hit send, you say you, you deleted a few lines off of it because, <laughs> right? Come on, somebody, right? Today, we send text messages, and I can't even, I, I, it's not, some of these words, these abbreviations are not even in, in the, um, the dictionary. Webster was way behind his time on this stuff of hashtag this and NVM and LOL and whatever else, right? I actually had to either look up the Urban Dictionary or my kids, get a, just get a Gen Xer and they'll tell you exactly what all these abbreviations are. But can I tell you, we, we are not, we're sending text messages. And how many of you know that the Facebook comments today we are definitely not considering, come on, what we are talking and what we're saying and the impact of our words. I'm going to keep it raw and keep it real this morning. Do I have a witness? Come on, somebody. But I want you to consider that your words have incredible power, that your words have incredible power, and that it leaves an impact. You say, Pastor Shannon, so what? Who cares? It's just words. And that's what the culture has trained us to think. They're just words. Who cares about this? Oh, so what? We're listening to all kinds of words on YouTube and Facebook section, and who cares about really the impact? But I'm going to tell you, that is not, let's keep it real, let's keep it raw, that is not the way the Bible tells us. That's not the way Jesus instructed us to talk carelessly or to throw our words around like they have no meaning or impact on our life. Jesus said, that we will be held accountable. Check it. We will be held accountable to every word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken or text or placed in a Facebook comment. Okay, may not have said that, but he's saying however those words come out, Verse 37, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Your words have weight. They have power. Look at Proverbs 18, 21. Some of you can, can quote this by memory, but look what he said. 18, 21, Proverbs, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words 
has the power to bring life or bring death. And if you enjoy it, if you understand that, come on, you're going to eat the fruit of your the words that you speak. Mom and dad, when you speak life-giving words to your children, you're going to love the fruit that will come out of their life. They'll be more happy, more secure, more confident, come on, more attracted to Jesus. You're going to love the fruit of how you speak to your marriages, how you speak to your spouse, how you speak to your coworkers, how you speak, come on, to your friends. You're going to enjoy the fruit that's going to come out of the power of your words. Do I have a witness this morning? Yeah, come on, give God praise. Who said all of that? King Solomon was the wisest man in the world. Check it. He's the wisest man in the world. How, where did he get his wisdom? I believe in university. I believe in college degrees. I believe in reading books. I think you should always be a life learner. But King Solomon grabbed this insight and wisdom, not from human wisdom. He asked God in a prayer. He said, God, I'll be king over Israel, but all I ask is that you give me great wisdom. And all of a sudden, God began to downpour wisdom, supernatural wisdom into his life. And he's now pinning, inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell us, let me tell you something, I've lived a long time. I've watched kingdoms rise and fall. I've watched all this happen around me, and I'm telling you, your words have power. There's life and death in the power of your words. Why is this? When you speak, it will produce and it will create. So words not only have content. Is it educational? Is it informative? Great. But don't just consider the content. Consider the power, the ripple effect that happens. You may have great content, but the way you speak it, how you're speaking, what you're speaking How is it going to have a long-lasting impact in that child's life, in your marriage, in your future? What you're speaking to yourself when you stand in the mirror, what you speak will have a ripple effect. And your your words not only have content, they have power. It's going to leave an impact. If you speak it, it will fill someone's heart or crush it. Your words are going to fill that heart or it's going to crush that heart. When you speak, it will fill someone's heart with faith or it's going to fill their heart full of fear. When you speak, it will give them confidence or it's going to give them insecurity. When you speak, it gives them either value or they're going to feel shameful. When you speak, when you text, when you write it, when you post it, when you comment on it, it's going to either give, come on, disgrace or dignity. We surround people with the support of our words, or we surround them and make them feel isolated with our opposition. So our words have power because God's words have power. Your words have power because God's words have power. In Genesis, we learn that God spoke the worlds into existence. He said it. He spoke it, and it happened. Can I tell you, you are made in the image of God, and God has delegated. You may not be able to speak worlds into existence, but I'm going to tell you something. You can crush somebody's world with your words, or you can give confidence to the world that God is creating in their life. Jesus spoke, and miracles happened. Think about God. God spoke and created life. The devil speaks, and he creates death. Jesus said, I'm only, guys, I'm only modeling, listen to me, watch me, 
I'm only speaking what my Father has spoke. What if we walked away today and just said, you know what, I'm taking away that point. I'm only going to find out what the Father is saying, my Heavenly Father, and that's what I'm going to mimic. That's what I'm going to repeat. I'm going to repeat what I hear the Father say. God can give you a wisdom of what you should say and what you should speak in every moment because your words are not only informational, they have power, and it's going to leave an impact in someone's life. We are made in God's image, and our words have this kind of power. We're either life givers or we're life takers. How many remember, come on, a word spoken over you by a teacher or a parent or someone that has left a negative impact on you, and it's been 10, 20 years? Do I have a witness? Someone has said something, and you can still almost by verbatim, you can repeat what they said over you. But how many of you can remember, come on, just 20 minutes ago, some words that you spoke to someone in the, in the lobby? I can't remember everything. But if I understand this, that it's, it's amazing how some words, when they're constructed, how they can leave such an impact on our life. And the same words, you're in this building this morning, you are worshiping God this morning because of the impact of someone's word, of how they communicated how much Jesus loves you and how much God has given you life and your life has been changed because God used the gift and the ability to speak and now you're here this morning. Our words will either support or undermine God's plan for his church. He's given so many gifts and abilities within this body. And think about it. It's all connected to our words. It's all connected. The Harvard, Harvard Business Review study did a study about words. And the, they did a study on the power of the ratio of our words versus positive and versus negative. And so they did this study and saying that it takes, it takes five positives, five positive words. One, two, three positive words, four, five positive words to bring someone to health, to bring them to a place where they're, they feel good about their life, their future, about their relationships. Five positives to one negative. Five positives to one negative. And if we're living our lives to where we have, you have a fill line. And you have, just like in your car, you have a warning light that tells you when your fuel tank is on empty. And the words that you're surrounded with and the words that you speak to yourself, they will fill your tank. They will fill your life. They will fill your soul. They're going to fill you emotionally. The same is true with the negative words. The negative words will take from you, will take from your soul, will take from your emotions. And how you leave yourself and how you leave people will determine how God is going to be able to work in their life. This is why relationships fail because there's more negative, there's more takeaways than there is positives. So God has given us this ability to speak into people's lives and give them positives. So this business review, this study was done, was that even on work teams, and they realized that teams perform better when there's five, at least five positives, to one negative. 
to one negative. Marriages, they did a study with 94% accuracy that marriages were healthy when they had this ratio down of always depositing positive words into someone's life. It was John Gottman that did the study that successful marriages are better, more healthy, more secure, have a better rate of success when there's five positives to one negative. Psychologists have done with children psychology, they'll tell you that children will do better in life when they're raised in an environment with five, a ratio of five to one. Are you with me this morning? The study will show that on an average, what an average of what we're actually doing in life. So here's how the culture. So when you did this survey just a minute ago and you said you rated us as two and three and four, you're, you're pretty accurate. Do you, know what, do you know what the study shows of how we're doing in life with our words? The study shows <laughs> that there is one positive One negative. Two negatives. Three negatives. That we're at a deficit. That on average we speak with three negatives to one positive. I'm telling you, as the body of Christ, as Christ followers, as Jesus followers, and the way that Jesus does life, we are to model to this world what love looks like and how it's expressed. And how do we do that, Pastor? We do that first by paying attention to our words, the words that we speak. And God has assigned you to people in your life. Listen to me very carefully. God has assigned you and surrounded you with people that you're responsible for. And as you say, Holy Spirit, help me to say what words do you want me to speak in this person's life that will actually increase their confidence, their love for one another. Are you with me? Come on, that they can go through life, not guessing, second guessing, with a broken heart and a broken future and a broken perspective, but they actually have a healed perspective because the Holy Spirit has used you to speak, come on, some positive words into people's life. Words will release the gifts of the Holy Spirit or our words will grieve the Holy Spirit. So let me go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let's look at this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only for what is helpful for building others up. Can you shout building? Come on, building others. Come on, shout it. Building others up according to their needs. So not based on what I need. I'm not speaking what I need, what I think you, what I think you need. I'm, I'm assessing what you need, and I'm speaking on what you need to build you up. That's what he says to us. The problem is we're speaking and commenting and throwing words out based on me, but we need to be thinking of the perspective of the we. What's better, come on, for the church? What's better for the body? What's better for this individual? And God, now you prompt my words to speak in such fashion. 
change the ratio of our words is what God is saying to us. And I'm telling you, it will raise the level of the expression of our love. You can let life-giving words go, or you can let life-crushing, life-taking words come out of your mouth. You say, Pastor, am I not supposed to speak the truth? Yes, you can speak the truth. Am I not to share my opinion? Yeah, you can, but you need to consider the impact and the weight of your words. The Bible says Jesus spoke with truth and grace. If you pull out a quarter, you'll see that there's two sides to that coin or that dollar bill. And I'm telling you, if there's only one side and the other side is blank, it has no authority. It has no power. But the fact that it has two sides, it's sealed and stamped, and it gives it its ability. The same with your truth. Your truth is no good if, it doesn't be cover, if it's not covered with grace. Grace and truth work together in Jesus. The Bible says, model that brilliantly before us. This is why our truth can be so damaging that I have counseled people who have left the church years and years and years ago. You know why? Because they gave, they gave all truth and killed their spirit, killed their perspective. They didn't give them a, a new perspective of the love of God. All they gave was the truth, and it killed them and crushed them. But how many of you know when we give grace, when we give truth with grace, come on, it brings in the direction and the motivation to find the truth of Jesus Christ, and that person has benefited. How many believe that this morning? Amen. Proverbs 27, 6, listen to this. The wounds from a sincere friend are better than the kisses of the enemy. And those wounds, you say, Pastor, aren't those the negatives? It could be, but make sure that you have more positives than the one negative. So constructive criticism, a friend who's going to be real with you and say, you're making a bad mistake, it's the same as a doctor having a scalpel in their hand. A doctor can have a scalpel in his hand, and he can go straight for your heart. But the intent of that doctor is to heal you and not harm you. But you give that same scalpel to an enemy, to someone who hates you, an attacker, it's going to go straight to your heart, and they're going to cut your heart out. But, but God, rather, is here to give us, yes, truth, and the friends that God will surround you with. It's all about the intentions. Can I tell you, when God's body surrounds us with the intentions of love and healing, we walk out of the operation room. Yes, it was hard to hear, but I'm walking out healed and not hurt. Do I have a witness this morning? Words will release the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so are we speaking with intentional of love? Or do we find ourselves conflicted? and in opposition of the way of Christ and the way of love. God has given you the spiritual gift, and it is connected to this powerful ability of how you speak and what you speak. Think about the gifts of prophecy. Think about the gifts of words of wisdom. Think about the gifts of knowledge that the Holy Spirit has placed within this congregation. Think about it. They are all connected to how you release your words. Are you following me this morning? Some people brag and they say, my gift, first off, well, first off, it's not even bragging, but the one, there are two lies that the enemy wants you to believe. Number one is that your gift is not important, that your words are not important, and the gift that God has given you is not important. I'm going to tell you, that will, that will hinder not only you, but it's going to hinder the people in your life that need to hear from you. Your gift this morning, every person, your gift is important. When you release prayer, it's important. 
When you release those words of encouragement, it's important. When you speak over your family, it is important. God is looking for you to open your mouth wide and speak in the, with a heart of love. So that's the first lie, is that my gift is not important. And I can tell you, if I ask for a show of hands, that how many of you have withheld your words because the enemy has lied to you and tell, told you that your words are not important. The second lie is that my gift is important and it makes me superior over others. There are people who literally, and this, the Apostle Paul was addressing this in the early church, that all these people that had these gifts of healing and gifts of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy, but they were doing damage. They were not building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, so that there should be no divisions in the body, and that is parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, gifts of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly, of course the answer is no, but we all have some type of gift this morning. But here's what Paul encourages them to do. I'm encouraging you to seek early, uh, eagerly and desire the gifts. But here's what he says in chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. It's all within the same context. What is the most famous next chapter as Paul is talking about the gifts the gifts in chapter 12? What's the next chapter, chapter 13? What's he talk about? What is it? It's all together. He says you may have these gifts. You may be laying hands on the sick, but you have obviously went out into the lobby or in the parking lot and you just raked someone over the coals. You did nothing about your healing. You just damaged and hurt three other people with your text that you just gave. You can have the gifts, but if you don't have love, he says you are a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. Are you with me this morning? So Paul is saying it's not about your gift. The gift is not about you. It's about how are you building up the body of Christ. The gift of prophecy, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You know why prophecy? Do you know why? It's because your words. Stop trying to be a fortune teller and prophesy some weird stuff, vague stuff, that's leaving people confused, but rather start prophesying and declaring there are 8,000 promises in God's Word, and the Holy Spirit will prompt your heart to pray with someone, encourage someone. How are your words going to foretell what God is wanting to do in their life to build them up and not make them feel, come on, somebody. Are you with me this morning? So, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I'm going to give you two ways you can activate the power of your words. There's two ways. They're very simple, but it's so important, and Jesus preached it over and over again, and Paul was building up. He went from church to church to say, this is so important, guys. This is why we are the body of Christ, and if you want to use your words in a powerful way, use them this. Number one, ways like this. Use your words. 
to build others up. Use your words to build others up. Now I'm going to ask you, I'm going to open up. They're going to sing this song again. I really want you to come with someone this morning. And I want you to hear what God, first off, is saying to you. How is your father speaking to you this morning? How is he speaking to you? What did you hear God say in the worship service just a few minutes ago when we were singing this song? I pray your ears are open. You know why? Because God is going to be speaking in a way with his words to build you up. And then secondly, we use our words to point people up. And there's going to be someone that you're going to be praying with this morning. You're either standing next to them or bring them up front. That God is going to prompt a word in your heart. He's going to activate this word in your heart to build others up around you and to point them up to Jesus. You know where your answers are at today? It's an encouraging word. It's a word of prophecy. There was two, two frogs that fell into a pit, and all of these frogs gathered around. And they watched these two frogs struggling, and they were jumping and jumping and jumping. And the frogs yelled down and said, hey, stop jumping. Stop jumping. There's no way that you're ever going to meet, make it out of that pit. Just stop it. Just lay down and die. Just surrender to your fate. The one frog listened to the words of these other frogs as they were yelling with their frog words and their little frog hands and they were getting demonstrative and just die, just die. Well, the frog, one frog died, laid over and just died. The other frog saw the dead frog and seeing the frogs in the pit said, just stop, just stop. Don't, don't, you know, they're waving the little frog hands around. Just quit. There's no use. And he starts jumping higher and higher and higher and they're shouting louder and says, no, stop. You're wasting your energy. Just die in peace. And finally, the little frog jumped all the way out of the pit. And all these little frogs surrounded him and said, how, why would you quit? Why did you keep jumping when we were telling you to quit? And he says, I'm deaf. I have to read your lips. I thought you were encouraging me to jump and jump and jump. You know what your ears need to be tuned to? Your ears need to be tuned, come on, to words that build you up and build others up. It was, it was Dottie Osteen who was, had polio as a young girl. She had polio and left one of her legs shorter than the other. So she had to wear these shoes with platform, platform uh, heels on one side to make her, her, her legs even. And she was a little slow walking. And she kind of walked really slow and with a little bit of a limp. And she was so discouraged. She was a believer. She believed in Christ. But here's what happened. She says, I just really, truly wanted to have beautiful shoes. All these other girls had beautiful shoes. Mine were so ugly because one of them had such an ugly heel on it. She said, I grew up living for God, and God gave me four wonderful kids, got married. But she said, I lived with this perspective that I was ugly and there was something wrong with me. She said, until T.L. Osborne, Pastor Osborne, was talking to my husband, and I overheard him. He spoke this word. He said, Pastor John, he said, look at, look at Miss Debbie. Look at Miss Dottie. Look at her. She overheard, and she turned around, and he said, she's walking like a princess. She said, something changed in my heart that day when I heard his words. 
From that day forward, I never walked with the perspective that there was something wrong with me. I walked with my head high that God created me, God formed me, and I've walked like a princess and believed it ever since. Can I tell you this morning? Come on. What are you hearing God say over you this morning? What needs to change? What ratio do you need to change on what you hear yourself say about you? What ratio does God want to change within your family, within your friends, the people you're with? Will you stand with me this morning? Now, here's the Holy Spirit. He's going to activate this this morning. Can you take about five minutes before you leave? Can we let the Holy Spirit move for just about five minutes here? He's been moving, but now it's time for you to move. It's time for you to move. I sensed it earlier, but God was prompting someone's heart. And the words of the Holy Spirit became very clear to somebody that God is speaking life. The enemy is trying to make you feel less than. God is doing all of these things in our lives, and the enemy wants us to focus on the negative. I wonder in the next few minutes, will you guys begin to sing? I wonder next, just give me five minutes here for a moment. Will you give the Holy Spirit five minutes? I want you to bring somebody. It may be your spouse. It may be your children. It may be a friend. It may be another brother or sister in Christ. But I want you to come for a moment. And I want you to close your eyes. I want you to lift your hands. And I don't want you to just listen with your natural ear. I want your heart to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying this morning. Will you come?